Likutei Sichos, Chelek Tezayin, that's volume 16, the Sicha for Parshas Tetzaveh and Zayin Adar, the seventh of Adar. This Sicha will explain why the entire month of Adar, and for that matter why the entire two months of Adar, are months of joy, although Purim is only on the 14th, or 14th and 15th. Number two, what is so unique, what is so special about the seventh of Adar? And also, it will discuss the Parsha of Tetzavah, the connection to Parsha Tetzavah. Just as an introduction, it's important to note that when we have two Adars, that's in a leap year, a Jewish leap year, although the main observances are in the second of Adar, that is Purim and Shushan Purim, yet the joy is spread to both months. And in certain aspects, the first month of Adar is also as equally or, or more important in some sense, as we'll see in the Sirha. Another interesting, uh, imp- I'm sorry, important uh, introduction, just to um, note, the, in the laws of vows, when one makes a vow, a neder, the rule is that in a vow you go after halach achar loshem You go after what typically people would mean when they say something. Okay, for example, if somebody says, I'm going to be in the Big Apple, right, then typically what that means, if you live in the United States, just as an example, that you're going to be in New York. New York is called the Big Apple. Okay, you can't say that he meant to be in the Apple store. Okay, unless, of course, the person specified. Let's go into the Sicha. So it's known that the seventh of Adar is the anniversary of passing of Moshe Rabbeinu. And in most years, almost always, it falls out in close proximity or within the week that we read Parshat Tetzaveh. In many of the holy sources, it is explained the connection between the seventh of Adar and this Parsha. In other words, why do they fall out in such close proximity? The, ant- the idea is that when you look at the Parsha, the Parsha's Tetzavah, we find something very unique. That from when Moshe was born, in the very first Parsha of this book of the Torah, the book of Exodus, until the end of the Torah, this is the only Parsha that has the name of Moshe omitted. You don't find his name once in the entire Parsha. And it's explained that this is a hint, this is a remise to the passing of Moshe, since he passed away around the time when we read this Parsha. This is also consistent with a very interesting halacha, a very leading halachic authority, the Mogid Avram, maintains that in a leap year, that is a year like this year, when do we observe the fast of the seventh of Adar. Now, there are those who fast because it's the anniversary of passing of Moshe. When do we observe it? We observe it in the first Adar. And he explains that the reason why it's observed in the first Adar, although, as I mentioned in the introduction, where most official observances of the month of Adar are usually in the second month, he explains the reason for it is because there's an added point here that it comes in close proximity to the Parsha of Tetzavah, as we mentioned, Tetzavah is inherently connected to the passing of Moshe, as it doesn't have Moshe's name. It's like Moshe is concealed in this Parsha. So the Rebbe says that this needs to be understood, because we do know that the seventh of Adar is not only the anniversary of passing of Moshe. In fact, it is the birthday of Moshe. This is the day Moshe was born. As the Talmud says, that, quote, Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
sits and fills the days of tzaddikim. He makes them complete from day to day, from month to month. Thus, Moshe was born on the seventh of Adar, and he had a totally complete, absolutely complete life that he also passed away on the month of Adar, uh, on the seventh of Adar. And if so, the question is, why is it that in the parsha of Tetzava is only hinted the passing of Moshe? Why isn't also the birth of Moshe hinted? Okay. Now, the simple and obvious answer would be that you can argue that since the parsha begins with the word ve'ata, ve'ata tetzava, and you, who is the you? Who is this you? Who is Hashem speaking to? Well, it's clear and obvious. He's speaking to Moshe. Who is this ata? Moshe Rabbeinu. And since right in the beginning of the parsha it says ve'ata and you, thus it comes out that every single word in the parsha is connected to Moshe. So the argument can be made that this is kind of the hinting to Moshe's existence, um, namely his birth, so to speak, that Moshe came into existence, and this is hinted in the word vi'ata. However, the question is, how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this, these two ideas? That on the one hand, Moshe's name is not explicitly mentioned in the Parsha, but on the other hand, the entire Parsha is inherently connected to Moshe. In other words, it seems on the one hand he's totally not here, but on the other hand he's absolutely here. He's totally here. To answer this question, the Rebbe says, we'll first introduce the following matter. And by understanding this, it will bring clarity into the whole subject matter and we'll get a good answer and it's one that we can appreciate as to why Tetzava has these two what seems to be conflicting aspects. In the Gemara, there's a discussion. In the Talmud, there's a discussion if one makes a vow and the verbiage that he used, the expression that he used, he says, I am going to be, quote, like Moshe on the seventh of Adar. That's all he said. The question is, what did he mean? Not what he says now he meant. But what does one mean when one says, quote, like Moshe on the seventh of Adar? And the, and the Talmud explains. Do we say that perhaps what he meant is that he's accepting upon himself, he's taking a vow to be a Nazarite? What is the connection between the seventh of Adar and a Nazarite? Because it says in the Medrash that when Moshe passed away, the pain, the mourning was so intense, was so immense, that many people accepted upon themselves to be Nazarites. And perhaps that's what he intended, that's what he meant. Or, says the Talmud, could he have meant the se- Moshe on the seventh of Adar, that he's going to be joyous, like on the day Moshe was born, and the resulting career, the resulting history of Moshe, which was all full of joy. Moshe brought about the exodus of Egypt and all the miracles and so on. So we see from here that inherently the seventh of Adar is not just a day of fasting, it's not just a day of mourning, of sadness, of the absence of Moshe, but in fact, according to this, you see that the seventh of Adar is also inherently a day of joy. And if so, the question now becomes, the Magen Avram says that we fast on the seventh of Adar, and not only we fast on the seventh of Adar, but we fast in the first month of Adar when there are two months, um, the first seventh of Adar. The question is, how come they established the fast day on a day which also, as clearly indicated by the Talmud, is inherently a day of joy? Moreover, the Talmud relates that when Haman made his lottery, to figure out on which 
would be the month in which he would choose to annihilate all the Jews. In other words, when he tried to figure out when will be the most auspicious time for him, when will be the best chance that he can get at it destroying and annihilating the Jewish people, when it fell out on the month of Adar, he was in great joy. Why was Haman in great joy? Because he knew that Moshe passed away in the month of Adar. And that's what he exclaimed. He said, wow, this is a terrible month for the Jews. This month is inherently bad for them. And look how beautiful it is that the lottery made it so that it fell out on this month and therefore have a good chance at it. However, the Talmud says, little did he know, little did he realize that Moshe was also born in this month. Moshe was born in the seventh of Adar. And therefore the effect of his birth overrides and is greater than the effect of his passing. Or in the words of Rashi, Rashi says, that the day of birth is worthy, means it's powerful, that it's able to atone, literally, or to override the effect of the day of the passing. So the Rebbe says to understand all this, we'll first need to understand the words of the Gemara. Where the Talmud states, Kishem mishenichnas av mimaatim b'simcha, what it means is the Talmud says, just like, just as, when the month of Av, that's the month of Tishabav, when the both Batemikdash, both temples were destroyed, just like in this month, when the month enters, meaning from the very beginning of the month, we decrease in joy or we increase in sadness, so too, says the Talmud, we increase in joy from when Adar begins. And Rashi explains, what is the connection? What does this mean? So Rashi says that the month of Adar, why do we increase in joy in the entire month of Adar? Because he says, quote, these are days of miracles that occur to the Jewish people, Purim and Pesach. Now, one moment, Pesach, Passover, is in a later month. It's in the month that precedes Adar. That comes in the month of Nisan. So the questions the Rebbe asks is, number one, why the entire month? Purim was only on the 14th. Or in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, they celebrate on the 15th. So it's only two days of the month. Why the need, why the mitzvah of increasing in joy the entire month of Adar? Number two, what is the connection here to Pesach, to Passover? How does Passover come into the mix? And number three, if anything, then it should be just the second month, that is the Adar Shani, the second month of Adar when you have a leap year, not the first month. And if Rashi's intention is to tell us, oh, just like you have to be joyous on Pesach, so too you should be joyous during this month, and that kind of warrants to be joyous the entire month, not just the day of, but the entire month, then if that for that for if that's the case, then you can make the argument, the month of Kislev, on which Hanukkah falls out on the 25th of it, then we should have to be joyous the entire month. But nowhere do we find such a suggestion anywhere in the Talmud or in Jewish law. But the answer is as follows. If you look at the, in the precise words of the Gemara, what does the Gemara say? That just like you decrease in joy in the entire month of Av, beginning from the, uh, from the very beginning of Av, so too you increase in joy in the entire month of Adar. What's the connection to Av? Why does the Gemara associate? Why does the Talmud associate the two? The Talmud associate the two. The answer is that if we 
take a close look at the month of Av, if we understand what the month of Av is about and why one needs to decrease in joy, not just on the ninth of Av, but also on the days following up to it, that means the entire month of Av, one can get a better appreciation. What is the What happened in the month of Av? So in reference to the month of Av, the sages tell us that that the calamities multiplied in it. That means it wasn't just one calamity. There were multiple calamities over the history of our people. Number two, it says that it has a significant Yom Chayav. It has a significant bad day. A day that is, so to speak, set for calamities on this month. And that's what brought it about. That's what triggered it. What is this day? So we know that the ninth of Av, the very first time a calamity occurred in the ninth of Av, was when the Jews in the desert sent the spies. And they came back. And they cried. And they cried for naught. They cried for no reason. They lost their faith in Hashem. And they complained about going into Israel. What did Hashem say they, then? What does the Medrash tell us? Hashem said that this day will become established as a day of sadness, as a day of calamities. I mean, whenever a calamity, a serious calamity happens to the Jewish people, it will happen on this day. So you see that the month of Av, the reason why Tisha B'Av is Tisha B'Av is because this month, because of that day, the entire month became established, became set as a month of calamities. And this is what connects it to other. That so too, but of course, in the exact opposite matter, when we look at the month of Adar, we can appreciate that it's not just a day of Purim that is a special day. It's not just the 14th and the 15th of Adar on which we actually celebrate the miracle that is special, but in fact, the entire month. Because as we see from the previous story with Haman, the reason why Purim falls out in Adar, the Gemara is suggesting, is because in this month you have, quote, that special day. You have that day that in which Moshe was born. That is what triggered. That is what brought about that this month should become the month of Purim and override the evil decree, the evil intentions of Haman. And this is what Rashi was referring to. You remember Rashi said that the days of Purim and Pesach, and we asked, what's the connection between Adar and Pesach? The answer is that the day of the seventh of Adar the day Moshe was born is what led to the Huchpalu Boinisim. It led to a multiplication of miracles. It was multiplied the miracles because of this day. Which miracles? Well, first in his time, the miracle of Pesach. Of course, we know he took him out of Egypt and all the miracles that followed. And then also many years later, the miracle of Purim, which as we said, came as a result of the fact that it's in the month when Moshe Rabbeinu was born. And now we understand the association between Av and, and, um, and, uh, and Adar. That although the month of Adar really technically should only be celebrated on the day of Purim, but we celebrate the entire month because this is an auspicious month for miracles. This is a special month because in this month, Moshe was born, and that's what brought about all the miracles, starting with the miracle of Pesach and later culminating with the miracle of Purim. And this is why we have joy in the entire month. Now, the question then is, if that's the case, what's the reason for fasting then? Why would we fast? So now let's explain. 
What is the idea of a fast day? What's the reason that one fasts? The fast could be, there's two general reasons why one would fast on any particular um, date on the calendar. Either, A, because terrible calamities, tsaras, happen to the Jewish people, and therefore there's a need to fast in order to reverse the sadness, the bad effect of that day, or, as is the case in the day of the passing of a tzaddik, it's not so much because it's a bad day, it's not so much because of the, the calamity aspect of it, but rather because when a tzaddik passes away, it becomes an auspicious day to, as it's quoted in the, in the prophet, it's a day when the living have to take to heart, meaning it's a day of introspection. It becomes a day of tshuva. It becomes a day that's auspicious, an auspicious time, that is, to return to connect to Hashem. Now, what's the difference between these two reasons? It's obvious. A day which has both sadness and joy. And the question is, which is more powerful? Which one do we observe? Which one do we commemorate? Is it the sadness? Is it the joy? Take a day like the seventh of Adar. Do we need to fast? Or perhaps do you say the joy of the fact that Moshe was born on that day, notwithstanding the fact that he also passed away on that day, perhaps the joy is so powerful, as we see, it had the power to override the, the bad. It had the power to override the decree of Haman. And the answer is that true, there is joy in this day, but the fact that there's joy in this day can actually be an added reason to fast on this day. Why? Because we know that in general, every mitzvah has to be done with joy. Especially the mitzvah of tshuva, which is one of the most important mitzvahs. It's a general mitzvah. It is the greatest mitzvah of all. So if the fasting on the day of the passing of a tzaddik is because of and a result of and is supposed to lead to tshuva, to return to Hashem, it's a, it's a form of repentance, it's a form of connection to Hashem, then when better a time to fast than on the day when there's so much joy, so you can do the fasting, you can connect Hashem, you can do this mitzvah of tshuva with joy. And according to this, we'll understand the whole thing. Because the seventh of Adar is a day of joy. Specifically, and precisely because it's a day of joy, therefore, the Mogin Avram suggests that you have to fast on the seventh of Adar, and therefore, in the first Adar, on the exact anniversary of when Moshe, Moshe was born, and then, of course, later he passed away. And of course, according to this, we can understand why it's in the first month of Adar, like as I just said, because that's when you read Parshish Tetzavah. But now the question still remains, why is it that in Halacha, we do see an emphasis, we do see a mention, there's an overt discussion, as we just, said, as we just quoted, of fasting on the seven other, but there's nothing really discussed, certainly not overtly, about the joy of the seventh of other. It's just that we were just discussing it, we know from the backstory, so to speak, that there is joy in it too. But it doesn't have any explicit mention of the joy. The answer is because the merit of this day, the joy aspect of this day, the fact that this day is an auspicious day, is such a great, is such a great and lofty, it's such a high and lofty uh, aspect, it's so, such a high and lofty matter, 
that it cannot actually be expressed in the explicit, but rather it makes has its effect, so to speak, in a concealed manner. An example for this, just to give you a halachic example for this. We know that on our calendar we have two very great days that come constantly, and that is Shabbos that comes every week, and then we have the festivals. Now, in, in reference to the festivals, the Torah directs us, commands us directly to have joy. It says explicitly, you have to have joy on your festivals. But yet we find that Shabbat, Shabbos, actually stands higher than the festivals. Case in point, when the festival ends, okay, on a, on a, on a Friday night, in other words, when you have a Chag, when you have a festival that goes directly into Shabbat, we don't make Havdalah. You don't make an active and overt separation and division between the festival and Shabbat. Why? Because you're going in from a lower, so to speak, level of holiness, of joy, into a greater level of holiness and joy. You're going in from Friday, which was the festival, to Shabbat. So you don't have to make an Havdalah. Just like you don't make Havdalah from, from a regular Friday into Shabbat. But in the reverse, when the festival falls out on Motzei Shabbat on Saturday night, then we do make an Havdalah. We don't say Hamavdal min Kodesh Lechol. We don't say Hashem who distinguishes and separates between holiness and mundane, but we say Hashem who is mavdil ben kodesh le kodesh, between one level of holiness and another level of holiness. So from this it's proven that Shabbat, Shabbos, is certainly in a greater standing in terms of holiness and, and, and therefore joy than the festivals. But in the Torah you do not find any mention of joy in reference to Shabbos, any obligation of joy in reference to Shabbos. How come? Well, this is a good example. That the joy on the, on the festivals is one that could be expressed, that could be explicitly mentioned. And therefore it is mentioned in the Torah. Whereas the joy of Shabbat is so lofty, is so great, that even the Torah doesn't mention it, it's something in the subliminal. And now we can understand, going back to the original question, why in Tetzava, in the one hand, Moshe is not mentioned at all, and on the other hand, it's all about him. It's ve'ata, and you shall command the Jewish people. And therefore, the entire parsha is about him. You see, when you say ve'ata, it means you, your essence, which is even beyond the name. It's beyond something that can be expressed. A name at the end of the day, the word Moshe could be expressed. It could be verbalized. This is something which cannot be overtly expressed. And therefore, it's there in the hidden. It's the essence of Moshe. It's all about Moshe, but it's all about Moshe in such a lofty manner, in such a concealed manner, just like the, the joy of the seventh Adar, and therefore it's not mentioned explicitly 